Fay. So it's about halfway through chief year now, and I'm so excited to be an MFM, but I'm already forgetting how to do gynecology. Oh my gosh, Nick. You can't forget how to do gynecology because you haven't been GYN clinic chief yet. I know, but still, like, how am I going to keep track of all of these things? Like, you know, when do I get that ultrasound or what's the endometrial thickness that I need to be aware of? Like, I'm overwhelmed. Luckily for you, the OBG project has up-to-date guidelines for all of these things that you can make sure you have on your own personal bookshelf with your subscription of OBG First that I know you got for free because you're a fourth-year resident. Um, So you can go ahead and continue to be up-to-date on all of those things if you're up-to-date on all your readings on the OBG project. Phew. All right. Well, I'll be able to check that out, and you can check it out too. Head on over to our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. Check out the link in the sidebar and you too can get OBG first for absolutely free as a chief resident. All right, guys, welcome back. This is Nick. This is Faye. And this is Creogs Over Coffee. Coffee. Right. Today, we're going to talk about long-acting reversible contraception, or LARC on LARC on LARC on LARC. The objectives for today, we are going to identify the different types of long-acting reversible contraception. We're going to talk about the risks and benefits of each type of LARC that is used in the U.S., and we'll also talk about the management of complications that are unique to each type of LARC. So first of all, Nick, start us off. What are LARCs? So... Long-acting reversible contraception, or LARC, um, is exactly what it sounds like. It's long-acting, meaning that it lasts for longer than the couple months that probably the next longest thing that Depo-Provera shot enables. We're only going to talk about types of LARC that are available in the United States. And these, in general, divide into implants and intrauterine devices. So for implants, kind of the things to remember are that There have been previous generations of devices that have been available but have been taken off the market subsequently. You may hear these known as the Norplant or the Implanon, Um, but the current version of this is the Nexplanon, which is 68 milligrams of etanogestrel. Intrauterine devices are the other main types of long-acting reversible contraception. There are divided into two broad categories, hormonal and non-hormonal IUDs. Of the hormonal IUDs, you'll see Mirena or Liletta that contain 52 milligrams of levonorgestrel, Kylena, which contains 19.5 milligrams of levonorgestrel, and Skyla that contains 13.5 milligrams of levonorgestrel. The only non-hormonal IUD on the market in the United States is the Paragard IUD that is a copper-containing IUD. Faye, let's talk a little bit about LARCs in general. Sure. So uh, the reason that LARCs uh, are something that you know we're big fans of is because it's recommended by ACOG as the most effective reversible contraception for women. Effectiveness is independent of coitus, user motivation, and adherence. And it also has the highest effectiveness, continuation rates, and user satisfaction out of all types of contraception. Um, the nice thing, too, is that there's no requirement for frequent visits for resupply or additional cost once the LARC is placed. And finally, they're reversible with rapid return to fertility and few contraindications. So, Nick, let's talk about each LARC. Let's start off with the implant. 
Yeah, so again, the next one on is the only one that's left on the market now, um, though I guess you may theoretically run into an implant on or something somewhere along the way. But next one is really going to be the major thing. It's manufactured by Merck um, and contains 68 milligrams of etonogestrel, as we discussed earlier. The mechanism of action of the implant is that it is an intermediate dose progestin-only contraception. So it does allow for some follicular development, but ultimately inhibits ovulation in almost all cycles. It also has a secondary mechanism of action in that that progestin increases cervical mucus viscosity, which inhibits sperm penetration. Um, it also possibly has an effect on the endometrium that could affect implantation, but there's not really any scientific evidence that indicates that prevention of implantation actually is the end result that causes contraception in this particular category of medications. So again, really we think that this is something that inhibits ovulation and increases cervical mucus viscosity. The Next one is approved for up to three years um, by the FDA, but observational and trial level data have shown that it's at least as effective as the copper IUD for up to five years of use. Um, and so you've seen some places extend its life, so to speak, for four or five years, depending on local practice. There are some contraindications, though, to the next one on, um, and these have to do with severe cirrhosis or liver failure, um, a history of breast cancer current or previous, an allergy to the implant materials, unexplained vaginal bleeding that has not yet been evaluated at the time of implant placement, and of course, pregnancy would be a contraindication to the placement of the implant. Faye, what do you think about the benefits and risks, I guess, of the implant? Sure. Yeah. So there's lots of benefits from the Nexplanon. One of them is that it is literally the most effective form of contraception, better than the IUD, better than getting your tubes tied even. Wow. The one-year failure rate is around 0.05%. So that comes from many studies, but particularly one that I want to highlight um, is the CHOICE study, which was a study that was conducted in St. Louis, Missouri. It was an observational clinical trial where women were given their choice of contraception free of cost. In women who chose to use the Nexplanon, there was one unintended pregnancy in 1,377 women years of implant use. The other benefits is that it may lighten or eliminate periods. There are very few medical contraindications. There's no estrogen involved, and it's very discreet um, so that most people, other than the woman who actually is using the implant, doesn't know that it is being used. In terms of risk factors, we'll divide this into side effects and true risk factors. So side effects of the Nexplanon come from the hormones that are within it. So in some people, it may cause irregular bleeding and spotting, specifically in the first six months, um, and 11% of users have reported irregular bleeding or spotting. The mean number of spotting or bleeding days per a 90-day reference period was about 10.4 days for patients in the U.S. based on one study and 7.3 days in patients from other countries. Not sure why it was longer for patients in the U.S. 17%, however, of patients had bleeding that lasted for greater than 14 days. So as, as you can imagine, the biggest reason for discontinuation of the Nexplanon is irregular bleeding. Other side effects can be things like headaches, breast pain, nausea, weight gain, weight loss, or formation of ovarian cysts. 
True risk factors of the next splenon include pain or bruising where the implant was placed. Um, in one study, 3% of patients reported erythema, another 3% uh, reported hematoma, 2% bruising, 1% uh, said that there was pain, and even less than 1% uh, complained of swelling. There's a very, very small risk of infection where the implant was inserted. And also there are some risks that are very rare, including injury to the neurovascular bundle that exists in the bicipital groove and also migration of the implant. Both of these have only been reported and we don't have a true uh, percentage risk. Talk to me a little bit about um, insertion and removal of the Nexplanon, Nick. Again, you have to be Nexplanon certified or actually go through a training session with Merck in order to be able to insert and remove Nexplanon devices. Um, but kind of speaking generally about their insertion and removal, these should occur about 8 to 10 centimeters above the medial epicondyle of the arm, as well as below the sulcus between the biceps and the triceps. And again, this is where the neurovascular bundle is. So you want to make sure that you actually stay below that area. Complications of insertion and removal are pretty rare. Um, between 0.3 and 1% as Faye has already described. Fortunately, the insertion has become much, much simpler in part because the device itself makes it very difficult to insert the, the implant very deeply. However, um, removal can be a bit challenging depending on your experience level um, and the depth of the device itself. If removal is difficult because the rod is damaged or broken or placed too deeply, the nice thing about Nexplanon is that it's radio-opaque, so an x-ray can actually be used to locate the implant um, and plan for removal, whether that requires going to the operating room to repair it or to find a migrated device. I think that covers the implant, Faye. Let's move on now to IUDs. Yes. So um, let's talk about the hormonal IUDs first. So these are the Mirena, Lilettas, Kylina, Skylas. So first of all, uh, IUDs are the most commonly used method of reversible contraception worldwide. 23% um, of female contraception users have some kind of IUD. So clearly very popular. The mechanism of action of the uh, hormonal IUDs or the levonorgestrel IUDs, as they are the only ones that are available in the United States, is that one, it causes a foreign body effect um, where there is sterile inflammatory reaction within the uterus, which is toxic to sperm and ova and impairs uh, implantation. The levonorgestrel also thickens cervical mucus as well as causes glandular atrophy of the endometrium, which also impairs implantation as well as impairs uh, sperm from coming up into the uterus. The levonorgestrel IUDs do not primarily interrupt ovulation. Ovulation can vary depending on the initial progestin dose. Um, so for example, the Mirena and the Liletta, which have higher progestins initially, may interrupt ovulation more so than the Kylina or Skyla. However, I don't tell patients that the IUD um, inhibits ovulation, as most cycles, even with the Mirena and the Liletta, continue to be ovulatory. Contraindications to IUD use are things like anatomic abnormalities of the uterus. So for example, congenital uterine variants, fibroids that uh, disrupt the uterine cavity, of course, pregnancy, also things like vaginal bleeding um, that has not been worked up, as well as possible gynecologic malignancy or recent postpartum endometritis or current PID. What about risks and benefits, Nick, of the IUD? Yeah, so... 
from a benefits perspective, it's highly effective in preventing pregnancy. It has an over 99% effectiveness rate, and a lot of this has to do with the fact that it doesn't require any regular adherence from the user of contraception. The other nice things about the IUD is that it has very few medical contraindications overall. There's no exogenous estrogen that's required in the IUD, um, and there actually has been demonstrated a reduced risk of cervical, ovarian, and endometrial cancers from the use of hormonal IUDs. So these have even benefits beyond contraception. In this light too, these are cost-effective devices. Again, they really do, again, you get the cost-effectiveness from pregnancy prevention, some cost-effectiveness from malignancy prevention. Um, so again, a lot of reasons to use IUDs. However, nothing's without risk, and the IUDs aren't alone in that category. So side effects usually are a decrease or elimination of menstrual periods, and though this is often a selling point for patients, some people really don't particularly like that. The one-year amenorrhea rate is about 20% for Mirena and Liletta, 12% for Kylina, and 6% for Skyla. However, prolonged or unscheduled bleeding can be very common, particularly in the first few months of use. Hormonal side effects are, again, can be attributed to the IUD, things like acne, weight gain, headache, nausea, mood changes. However, the hormone effect of these IUDs is generally local. Um, there's very little, if any, progestin that ends up being absorbed systemically, um, but there may be some progestin that's absorbed systemically that may manifest in some systemic side effects for some patients. The risk of expulsion for the IUD is low, but that does exist about 3 to 6% in the first year. There's also a risk at the time of insertion that the IUD may be malpositioned or it could cause a uterine perforation. This risk is also generally very low. The last risk that we should talk about with IUDs um, are the risk of ectopic pregnancies. Again, the absolute risk overall of pregnancy is lower. There are going to be much, much fewer pregnancies in someone using an IUD than someone without an IUD. But if someone gets pregnant while using an IUD, the risk of an ectopic pregnancy is about 27 to 53% among hormonal IUD users. Um, and so that should certainly prompt an evaluation, a positive pregnancy test with a levonorgestrel IUD. Faye, now let's move on to the Paragard or the non-hormonal IUD. Absolutely. So for the Paragard, we're going to just very briefly review it because a lot of the um, benefits and risks and contraindications are similar to the levonorgestrel IUD. So first of all, the mechanism of action of the Paragard IUD is, again, that foreign body effect. It causes that sterile inflammatory reaction in the uterus. The copper itself will enhance the cytotoxic inflammatory response within the endometrium. Because there's no hormones, it, there's no uh, inhibition of ovulation. Contraindications are really same as above. So in people who you are thinking about putting in a copper IUD in, you really shouldn't put it in if they have some kind of anatomic abnormality, if they're pregnant, obviously, if they have a recent gynecologic infection, or if they have vaginal bleeding of unknown cause. What about the risks and benefits again, Nick? Yeah, so the risks and benefits are generally very similar to that of the levonorgestrel IUDs. Again, the benefits include that they're highly effective in preventing pregnancy, 
very few medical contraindications overall. I think kind of one thing that is unique to the copper IUD is that if someone has Wilson's disease or like copper retention, you shouldn't use a copper IUD in that patient. But really, otherwise, there's not a lot of medical contraindications to the use. Again, no exogenous hormone as well. So we avoids the concerns about any systemic hormonal effects, and the cost effectiveness in reducing pregnancy is still present. There is no effect on cervical cancer, endometrial cancer, or ovarian cancer risk, though, with copper IUDs. So um, you do have to take that into effect, and so you don't get that benefit. Um, not necessarily a risk, though, I guess, just above baseline not using any form of an IUD. The risk of expulsion with a copper IUD is about 3 to 10% in the first year of use, so a little bit higher than levonorgestrel IUDs. These also, in terms of risk, can increase menstrual bleeding and cramping. Again, we don't get any of that hormonal effect, and we do get a little bit of that inflammatory effect. So for some, uh, for some users, they may experience an increase in bleeding and cramping. Otherwise, the risks are similar, including the risk with a positive pregnancy test for an ectopic pregnancy. All right, Faye, I think we've done larks on larks on larks. Let's try and summarize it now. We definitely have. So we first talked about um, what larks were. We introduced the Nexplanon and the different types of IUDs. And we also talked about the fact that larks are favored by ACOG as the most effective reversible contraception for women. They are highly effective. There's no requirement for frequent visits or resupply. And they are reversible with rapid return to fertility. We started with the implant, um, the Nexplanon, really, because the others are not available anymore. That contains 68 milligrams of etonogestrel. The mechanism of action really is that it is a progestin-only contraceptive that allows for some follicular development but inhibits ovulation in most cycles, as well as it increases cervical mucus viscosity and prevents sperm penetration. Um, it's approved for up to three years, but may be effective for up to five years, at least in trials. Contraindications to its use include liver failure or cirrhosis, breast cancer history, um, an allergy to the materials, and obviously unexplained vaginal bleeding or pregnancy prior to insertion. It is the most effective choice of contraception, with a one-year failure rate of 0.05%. That's better than tying your tubes, even. Device may also lighten or eliminate periods, though also potentially can cause irregular bleeding and spotting in the first six months of use. Up to 11% of users may experience that. Um, there are otherwise few medical contraindications, though, and the device is very discreet. Um, the other risks generally re result from placement of the device, where you can get pain, bruising, swelling, an infection rarely, um, and an injury to the neurovascular bundle or migration of the implant, which is very rare. Only certified Nexplanon providers should insert or remove a Nexplanon device, um, and that training is provided through the manufacturer. We then moved on to the hormonal IUDs, which are the Mirena, the Liletta, the Kylina, and the Skyla. The Mirena and Liletta each have 52 milligrams of levonorgestrel. The Kylina has 19.5 milligrams, and Skyla has 13 milligrams. Um, these are the most popular types of reversible contraception worldwide. The mechanism of action is that IUDs cause a foreign body effect within the uterus, which is toxic to sperm and ova. It also thickens cervical mucus as well as causes glandular atrophy of the endometrium, which impairs sperm from getting into the uterus and also impairs implantation. IUDs, however, do not interrupt ovulation. Contraindications include anatomic abnormality of the uterus that would prevent insertion of the IUD, pregnancy, current infection uh, within the uterus tubes, uh, vaginal bleeding of unknown cause, 
The benefits include that they are very highly effective, just like the Nexplanon. There's very few medical contraindications, and they may also reduce the risk of cervical, ovarian, and endometrial cancer. Side effects include things like a decrease or elimination of your periods. However, they can cause prolonged bleedings, especially in the first few months of use. And there's a very small risk of expulsion, about 3 to 6% in the first year. Small risk of malposition or perforation of the IUD. And also, while there's an absolute overall risk of ectopic pregnancy due to absolute reduction in risk of pregnancy, those that do get pregnant on the IUD um, can have a higher risk of ectopic pregnancy. We lastly spoke about Paragard, again, which is the copper IUD, um, which in terms of its mechanism also is that foreign body effect of the IUD causing the sterile inflammatory reaction, which is toxic to sperm and ova, and that copper basically enhances the cytotoxic inflammatory response. The contraindications are generally the same as with the levonorgestrel IUDs, and the benefits and risks are generally the same as well, except we remove the hormones from the picture, so there's no effect on cervical, ovarian, or endometrial cancer risk, no effect on menstrual bleeding in terms of lightening it, but can actually increase menstrual bleeding and cramping. The risk of expulsion is about 3 to 10% in the first year of use, but otherwise the risks are similar, including the risk for ectopic pregnancy. All right, Nick, I think that brings us to the end of our Larks episode. So once again, this is Faye. This is Nick. And this has been Creogs Over Coffee. So guys, if you liked this episode, head on over to iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, whatever your podcatcher is, give us a five-star rating and review. You can find us on social media, on Twitter at CreogsOverCoff1, on Instagram at CreogsOverCoffee, Facebook at CreogsOverCoffee. And if you want to give us uh, some love, go ahead and go onto our Patreon at www.patreon.com slash CreogsOverCoffee. Give us a donation. We'll give you a shout out on the show or some swag. If you need notes from this episode or any other episode of our show, head on over to our website, www.creogsovercoffee.com. Have a correction for this show or any other show or just want to chat with us? Go ahead and send us an email at creogsovercoffee at gmail.com. <laughs>